Warning, this episode contains spoilers, coarse language, and... And then there's more. If it's something that's really well done the first time, it's not broken, stop trying to smash it. I'm always intrigued to see what it is that people are going to do with something that's already been done before. I hate remakes. I love remakes. Welcome everybody to part one of a new episode of I Hate Love Remakes. I am Noel. Joining me as always is Evie. Steve Holt! What? Have you never seen Arrested Development? No, I actually haven't. Oh my god, wow, you're... I, <laughs> I've I seriously have, never seen Arrested Development. I, I have no words for you, Noel. I just blew myself. So anyways, guest, who are you? I am Weston champion of things and purveyor of stuff and apparently maker of babies because ha 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 yes congratulations thank you yay yeah babies scare me they should uh, they're scary they are terrifying they're very small and they want things but they can't tell you what they want and they just scream all the time and then they poop yeah, I don't babies understand. only need three things if they are screaming it is because they are either tired in which case you are handling them too much they are hungry in which case you need to put something in their mouth or they need changed because they have just pooped or peed and they may actually poop or pee while you are changing them and that'll make them laugh because of that like or the that. tag in the back of their shirt is scratching the back of their neck but they can't uh -oh. tell you that so then they just scream oh, no. at you either no. that or they don't like the toy that you handed them and they're going to scream at you but they can't just tell you i don't like this toy because they do not know how to speak english yet and so they're oh. just like and you're like that's not a language i understand tiny they can learn tiny sign language thing. real quick they pick it up see the spit yeah. bubble on their chin is actually a form of morse code and yeah. they have jam hands and they're all sticky only if you give them jam, jam never ever ever give a baby jam so weston hi other than man seed is there anything else out there you're known for having produced <laughs> <laughs> well i am known for having done some work on farscape project deconstructing we'll hopefully be getting back Which... to work on by the time this episode is released yes we should be finishing up peacekeeper wars because that has been looming over us like a uh, Scarron Dreadnought has been looming over that one water planet that Moya can sit on for some reason without acting. We'll talk about that in that thing. It's but, like Rigel. We've been trying yes. to avoid <sighs> it, even though it's always in the walls watching. Oh, always. And the other thing that I'm not yet known for, because I haven't actually done anything on it, is the um, straight guys reading bad romance, because... Oh my god, the Fifty Shades of Grey. There are so many shades, and they're all grey. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> if this episode comes out before we get the first installment of that out, Weston, you're coming in to help me get Fifty Shades of Grey done. It's terrible <laughs> focus. It's, it's, oh, duh. Yeah. I've read porn on Literotica that is better than this. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's rebooting. It's so bad. I've read Bayou <sighs> Incest porn that's better than this. I have uh, drunk men rant about things that end up sounding better than Fifty Shades of Grey. A drunken rant does sound like something that we should do for Fifty Shades, because... I've read better things in <sighs> my pubic hair trimmings. Hmm. Well, no. My pubic hair trimmings use ellipses too often. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am so exhausted, and it's like, everything's funny! That is the best way to be. 
No, it's not. So yes, we're not quite sure when we're going to get that started online. So never. Uh, you're going to just I, like every few sentences, you're just going to have like a breakdown. And be like, I can't. Ten years it. from now, we'll be like, I finally scrawled out chapter seventeen <laughs> in my own blood and semen. Ah uh, yes, the entire. You had me a blood and semen. Blood for the blood god, semen for the sperm throne. Ah, okay. <laughs> I've been roiling in my own filth and flung it at a wall. That's what I think of chapter 14. That's nice. That's what I think of chapter 6. So anyways, Evie, what are we here to talk about today? Mom's chest hair. Uh, oh, yeah. I made that joke. But I it was made all right. that joke. Okay, um, <laughs> everything is funny now. Today, we're going to be reviewing The Thomas Crown Affair, the original Hooray. from 1968. Written by Alan Tristman and directed by Norman Jewison. And Alan Tristman, I don't know much about him. From what I read, though, this was his first screenplay, and he actually worked as a bank teller and kind of worked out, how would I rob this bank? And then wrote a script about it. Okay, that makes more sense. And then he went on to write Bullet, and they call me Mr. Tibbs, and Lady Ice, and, and a bunch of other kind of crime thrillers in the 70s, and then just kind of didn't really do much else. Mm. And then Norman Jewison is an interesting director. I know he's been nominated for a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, he did Fiddler on the Roof, Jesus Christ Superstar, In the Heat of the Night, Russians Are Coming, Russians Are Coming, Cincinnati Kid, Fist, Rollerball. That one's like highs and lows. I mean, like there's some good stuff in there, there's some bad stuff in there, and there's some stuff in there that's kind of good and kind of bad. Mm, running the full range. I particularly don't like Cincinnati Kid at all. He made the hurricane. Eh. And Rollerball has, the, I like the fight sequences. I don't like Jesus Christ Superstar. I haven't seen I haven't seen Fiddler on the Roof. Um, there's I, Fiddler, he's on the roof. I was I in Fiddler in the Roof, on the roof, in high school. It's funny how two films after Thomas Crown Affair, he did a film where someone saying, if I were a rich man. <laughs> that was bad. Yes, it was. That was terrible. I always keep mixing him up with George Roy Hill. He did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and a number of other films. Mm -hmm. They have a very similar style to him. But I actually think George Roy Hill is a more consistent director. Okay. Norman Jewison, he's made some good films, but he's kind of uneven. Yeah, he's made some really bad ones, too. In other words, he's a typical director. Yeah. He's had his peaks in his valleys. So you're saying he's a person? Yeah. Okay. His Oscar nominations were for, wow, Russians Are Coming, Russians Are Coming was a Best Picture nominee? Really? Yeah, that was back before they got some standards, I guess. Uh, well, and then there was also In the Heat of the Night, and Fiddler on a good. Roof, A Soldier Story, Moonstruck. But he was always nominated. He never won. He was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. So you're saying he's Meryl Streep? Or Alfred Hitchcock. Or Catherine Aww. Heigl. Aww. He's not a bitch. <laughs> well, you don't know. Well, no, I don't think he is. Uh, I think that I don't really need to. She looks like a bitch. Does he yeah. look like a bitch? No, he looks yeah. like a lovely old man. Oh, well, all right then. Catherine Heigl looks like the stick up her ass, has a stick up its ass. Ah, uh, yes. Heigl, yeah. Unfortunate. I love the cat. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even defend it. <laughs> no, she I wasn't going like to defend it. I was going to agree with you. She had like one good movie with Knocked Up, and then she just did like all of these horrid romantic comedies that make me just want to stab my brain out. I did like her in Valentine, the uh, slasher film where she was the person killed in the opening sequence. That oh, was yeah. nice because she died right away. And therefore, okay, I yeah. did not have to look at her for the rest oh. of the movie. So, but anyways, we're not here to talk about Catherine Eigel's career. Or lack thereof. Fortunate. Though she is quite comparable to Steve McQueen. Uh, in that they're yes. both blonde? 
in that he was also a bitch who had complete production control over most of his films. And there you are. Yeah, but he had talent, too. <laughs> That's debatable. Did he? We'll get into it. I admit I didn't see any of that in this movie. <gasps> How dare you, sir? We'll get into it. Anyways, let's move on to the film. Five men in business suits who have never met before pull off a meticulously planned robbery of a Boston bank, leaving the stolen loot in a trash bin at a cemetery where it's picked up by the operation's hidden mastermind. The man is Thomas Crown, a millionaire businessman and frolicking playboy who pulled off the crime just for the thrill of it. While he's depositing the money in Geneva, the bank brings in insurance investigator Vicki Anderson, who quickly singles out Crown as her lead suspect and even announces her intent to bring him down straight to his face. She goes to severe lengths to prove his guilt, breaking into and bugging his house, kidnapping the child of the getaway driver, but he remains calm and cool throughout the whole thing as he starts taking her out to dinners and dates, including his hobbies of flying gliders and bouncing along the beach in a dune buggy. Vicky grows closer to Thomas, even starts sleeping with him, and wonders if she's willing to give up the promise of a big reward to be with him, even when the cops refuse to cut him a deal in return for his surrender. Thomas decides to tell Vicky that he has another robbery planned, and gives her the address of the drop-off point for the loot. It's the same graveyard from the first robbery, and sure enough, another meticulously plotted heist is pulled off, and Vicky is ready and waiting at the cemetery only she has a full squadron of police with her, ready to slap the cuffs on Thomas. But when his car pulls up to the grave and is surrounded by police, a courier is behind the wheel, with a message from Thomas that Vicky should either take the money and find him or just keep the car. She tears up the note, tears in her eyes, while Thomas flies out of the country on a jet with a smile that slowly falters. Evie, do you recommend this movie? Yes, Ellipsis. but it's kind of long. <laughs> Like, it's 96 minutes. How can it be long? It's longer than 96 minutes. Really? It's like 100-something minutes. It's 102 minutes. 102. Oh, no. You're right. It is 102. I really hated that fucking song, When Mills of Your Mind. That's all I can think of. Is I'm like, it's fine. I like the music. I think that the middle chunk wherein that's sort of supposed to be the cat and mouse game between Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, that part drags, but I think the part with the heists and stuff like that, that's really well shot. It's a fairly well shot movie. It just kind of drags in the middle because I can only watch pretty people be pretty and pretty and also pretty for so long before I'm like, just do something. <laughs> so I recommend it, but I only with kind reservation. of... Yeah, it's like, eh... If you really like Steve McQueen, I go watch Bullet instead. Hmm. <laughs> That's my recommendation, I guess. So I recommend it, but not over Bullet. Okay. Weston, do you recommend this movie? I believe I would have to say that I do not recommend this movie based on partly on the music. This is a very 60s movie. The music is so... It feels incongruous. There's music playing, and it's like, okay, this is nice music, but I don't feel this. They seem out of touch. I will agree with Evie that it is very well shot. The split screen with like the seven or eight things that are going on simultaneously, kind of distracting, but it is kind of pretty. All of the scenes with the doom buggy on the beach, fantastic in that they're big and there's a thing moving around quickly. <laughs> um, the final scene, I think, very well framed. I like wide shots, the cemetery and uh, cutting to the close up. That worked pretty well, but I don't know. The rest of it, Faye Dunaway isn't introduced until 36 minutes in. And Steve McQueen gets, like, three or four scenes before that. And, I don't know, there's an awful lot of really slow buildup. It's like paranormal activity. An awful lot of slow buildup and a really quick payoff in which everyone dies. 
No, wait, no, wait, hang on. No, paranormal activity is there's nothing scary about your in-ground pool. That's the one, yes. <laughs> I recommend the movie, but it has problems. I think it is a very slick, very cool movie. I actually really like a lot, with the exception of that fucking theme song. Oh my god, I like the scene where it was used in the movie. I don't like it in the opening title scene. But a lot of the music is actually kind of interesting, and I like the experimental way it ties into a lot of the visual experimentation, a lot of the little editorial tricks and jabs they do, the multi-screen aspect. Really, I mean, this, this is almost like a very pre-MTV type, very quick, very snappy, except when it's not. Experimental. And there's a lot of places where it's not. And it does drag. The pace is kind of really off. Yeah, as Weston said, it takes forever for Faye Dunaway to get into the plot. And by then, it doesn't really pull you into the whole romance because it starts so late in the story. And also, it doesn't help that you don't really like either of the characters. I mean, they're both kind of really cool, pretty people, but they aren't likable people. And so you never really get invested in them or their plight. And there's too many scenes in the movie of let's pause for a few minutes to watch Steve McQueen doing things. The chess game. The chess game I liked because that was actually they narrative. They parodied that in Austin Powers. Yes, 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 they did. And it was really nice. It was entirely face acting. Yes. And we'll go ahead and move into open discussion then. Yeah. Even then the music, I kind of like how the music was kind of in the background and then suddenly it came in to punctuate certain reactions and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really good scene. But again, I don't care about these people. Mm. I think they're both kind of just spoiled rich people, and there's no real reason to want to root for either of them. Yeah. It's kind of like a movie with two bad guys, only... It is. It's, um, like, uh, what, It's payback? Spy versus Spy yeah. with sex. Yeah. Though now uh. I'm thinking of a Spy versus Spy porno where they use those long noses. Oh, no. See, I do that. actually sympathize with the Steve McQueen character because you see him in his big office. He seems very, like... Bored? Yeah, it's like he has everything, but he's just so utterly bored with everything at the same time, and he just wants something interesting. Yeah, but pulling off a high-stakes robbery that gets a person shot isn't really... Hey, that's something to do in the free time to keep my attention up. Yeah. Well, and even I guess that, if I had millions who's... and millions of dollars, I might do that, too. I don't oh, know. Yeah. People are he's just, not the you know, one who's perpetrating the uh, robbery. He's not engaging in the robbery. He's not doing it himself. He's sending other people to do it. Yeah, he's setting it up, and he's watching all of his dominoes fall down. But, you know, he's not one of the dominoes. He's not out there participating in it. He just hires these guys and has the five of them enter through five separate entrances, meet up there, say, hey, person who we've never met before, how are you doing? The trust issue, I think, between the conspirators would be a thing with... Uh, I was just going to say, I love the entire opening eye sequence. Mm. Me too! God, this movie's awesome! <laughs> oh, it's the like Ocean's Eleven I'm like, I want them yeah. to have their spin-off movie. I love that. I know, guy. Chief. <laughs> Those guys were awesome. And the woman yeah. in that green dress, she was so yes. pretty. <laughs> yes, so she pretty. was. I like that we got to see her again. Yeah, hmm. she was so pretty. But no, it was such a great idea of get three completely unrelated people who don't even know each other, but know each other is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Put all the pieces in place, and then they never even meet you. Mm -hmm. They don't even know who hired them. And I love the whole implication that he actually ended up stiffing them on the check. He never really? paid them the full 50000 Well, yeah, I mean, that was the whole thing of that you know, when they tracked down the guy with the station wagon. Uh -huh. What if it turns out that he never actually paid them the back-end price? Mm -hmm. well, he said it was going to be in installments. Yeah, over time. So maybe they just yeah. hadn't had time to uh, percolate yet. Mm -hmm. 
that is a difficulty with working with people who are amateurs because they have no patience whatsoever. Well, I mean, what I liked is that they did kind of seem like amateurs. They seemed kind of like mm-hmm. down on their luck guys who were desperate for a buck, and it was so well planned that even if they kind of screwed up, it would go okay. Mm-hmm. With the leg shooting. and yeah. Well, there was the leg shooting that went a little... And, and then there was the implied shooting of the guard in the second one. Mm. That wasn't actually a guard. That would have been the police guys coming in to shoot him. No, no, that was because the one guy behind the glass pressed the alarm button and they yeah, turned and shot was the like glass. Yeah, so low under the desk. I don't understand how they would have. I'm not saying they did. I'm that. saying the implication was there. Yeah. Um. I found that one really unclear because I was just like, wait, I think. Well, that's and then that's the shot that they end on is them shooting through the glass. That's the last shot you see of the robbery. Okay. So I can see how they would have to imply that rather than flat out say, hey, someone. Because again, you know, then it's like, how do you have any sympathy for this guy? But maybe at that point you're trying. But I mean, you guys didn't seem to have any sympathy for him anyway. So it's not like. No, no, that's the problem is I just didn't care about the guy. Maybe at that point, if you have generated any sympathy for him, that action is supposed to say, nope, this guy is terrible. We cannot sympathize with him at all. He must go. Well, and that is kind of a film where everything just kind of falls apart in the end. Uh, and I mean that intentionally. I mean, it, yeah. everything kind of intentionally falls apart in the end. No one's getting what they want, and uh, right. everyone's having to walk away. But anyways, going back to the old... I, I really like the split-screen style that was done for the entire high sequence. Mm-hmm. It was kind of distracting just because it's not something we see very often. Mm-hmm. But for the gimmick that it was, I thought it was well-executed. I love the part where one of the guys, he throws down the, what is it, like a flare or a smoke bomb, whatever it was. Oh, and the camera just follows it. And then, yeah, it goes through the smoke and I'm like, I am in love with this shot. I'm going to marry the shot and have its tiny little cinematic babies. I don't know what our babies will look like. I don't care. They will look like, oof, 9mm film. See, what's interesting, some of this film was very much in the 60s and some of it was almost ahead of its time. I mean, there was stuff in here that we would see that would be like big in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that shot, stuff like some of the quick cutting and editing and the way the music was used. Mm-hmm. I fucking hated Windmills of Your Mind, though. My God. If I never hear that song again, it will be too soon. Well, that's probably going to be on the episode. <laughs> oh. Fuck you, Noel. I love you, but I hate you right now. <laughs> it doesn't give me a whole lot of other iconic options to I use. know, but no, the, <laughs> I hate the... slash love Noel. I gotta that use song that song. That actually won for best original song. <laughs> that's wrong. I know, right? I'm like, the fucking thing sucks. Ew. So, but, you know, I mean, the Steve McQueen character, I just... He has such pretty eyes. He, don't even. Don't even. Steve McQueen eyes. is a pretty man. He is. And I think he's not a bad actor. I just think he doesn't have much range. And I never quite bought him as the stiff businessman. Mm. Whereas you totally bought him as the rich adventurer playboy. You know, the guy who goes and bets $1,000 on a golf swing or takes his glider or dune buggy out for a ride or stuff like that. I mean, that's essentially they wrote those bits for Steve McQueen because that's what he does. But when he's like the finances and mergers guy, it's like... Yeah, that part does seem very awkward. He doesn't fit a three-piece suit very well. Uh, He wears it well. He just doesn't... No, but he still, he looks uncomfortable in it. Yeah. He looks like he should be at a photo shoot and then be like, okay, now get me out of this thing. And I think he is kind of an odd choice because at the time he was also doing some romantic comedies and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the stuff that he's known for now is just a few years before that he had done um, The Great Escape and Mm -hmm. Cincinnati Kid and Nevada Smith. And just like two years before that, he had done The Sand Pebbles. And so it's like the stuff that he's known for is like the actiony stuff. Yeah. It's sort of like taking Clint Eastwood from, you know, Dirty Harry and then being like, and we're going to put him in Burgess Madison County. It doesn't, you don't understand why they cast him. 
when he comes in, it's like, well, we got to add some more action-y stuff. So let's have, you know, him flying a glider, him on the doom buggy, which has nothing to do with the story and just kind of grinds it to a halt. Yeah, that's there yeah. to show that he let's is. Let's go play polo. Playful, rich. He's Bruce Wayne. Without he that. really is. You know who I would have liked in this role? Oh, um. Paul Newman. Okay. Yes. I think Paul Newman would have been a very good fit for this role. Hmm, maybe. But the thing is, Norman Jewison had worked with Steve McQueen, so he probably wanted McQueen. Hmm. So, Faye Dunaway. Pretty. Nice legs. She, I, I really like all of her clothes. You know what I give her? That she's actually giving a really fun kind of performance in that the character that she's playing is very sexually liberated. Mm-hmm. Considering our time, we don't consider oh, yeah. people from back. But I'm like, this would have been 60s, 70s. She's essentially a private eye sleeping her way to the information. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. And it works. And I love that the guy calls her on it, and she's just like, don't put your labels on me. I love those arguments between her and the cop. Yeah, it's like early slut-shaming stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slut-shaming? Slap. And I love that she doesn't even go in for it. She's just like, I don't think so. And the film never condemns her. I mean, the film does raise the, gives voice to the challenge, but it gives voice to her challenge of the challenge. So the film never really like condemns her. Mm-hmm. I don't think she suffers for it. No. In fact, she suffers in the end ultimately because she ended up finding genuine love instead of just using sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, women and their emotions. There is chemistry between the two. I'll give them that. I think they both play their roles decently. It's still just, I don't like either of them. So mm-hmm. I'm not invested in anything. I'm not invested in him getting away or getting caught. Mm. I'm not invested in either of them succeeding or failing. Whoever loses, we win. So I'm watching something really pretty happen, but I'm not caring. It's like butterflies. I think that's the worst part is it's like the movie has potential, but the two main characters, they're not very interesting and you don't want to know that much about them. And you're just like, "Uh uh-huh. I think Uh the film thinks Uh you're going to care just because they're so cool and captivating. That could Mm -hmm. be And partially, yes. I mean, it is fun to watch because they're cool and captivating. And again, I do recommend this film. It's It's a very cool, captivating film, but it still doesn't have much emotional resonance to it. There's nothing beneath the cool and captivating. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. I should say charismatic instead of captivating. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's there and it presents itself and it doesn't click at all, which is kind of unfortunate. But I kind of like how their entire relation requires their opposition. It's the thrill of mm-hmm. the chase for both of them. Yeah. She needs to prove him and he needs to keep her from proving him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I like in the end that they don't make it, that they're broken up over events. I mean, it's literally an affair. It's not like you a deep remember? Rela- <laughs> See, it's, it's not a deeper relationship that's going to last. It was literally just an affair. At that point, it is kind of her fault because if she hadn't told the cops and had gone to the drop herself, she could have taken the money and met him. Mm-hmm. So it's specifically because she brings in the cops. He's like, the telegram says that he left early and, you know, you can either come meet me or you can keep the car. It's a nice car. It is a Rolls. But he still left her. The thing is, she knew where he was going. Well, but the thing is, I don't think he intended to have that money from the second heist. That was entirely a distraction for him to run. I thought he was testing her to see if she would rat him out to the cops that this was going to happen. No, but I think he knew she was going to. Possible. Because he didn't show up. He didn't trust her, ultimately. He said, I'll be in the car, but he wasn't. He lied to her. Mm. Ah, see, I think he does tell her to come meet him. But that's the entire point of their relationship, is they can't trust each other. The moment they trust each other, the relationship's over. 
That's the true. entire relation is about distrust and the whole chase and the duel and everything. That's true. And the moment they start trusting each other, it's kind of done. As soon as it stops being interesting. Yeah. Mm. And so I like how it ends on that somber note. Nobody gets what they wanted. He got away, but, you know, he's no longer a free man. He gets away with the his... cash from the first heist. Plus, he probably has money that he'll be able to get from. Mm. But I think his entire plan was that first heist was something he was going to get away with. And Mm -hmm. he isn't getting away with it. He's been caught. He's been outed. But half the fun isn't getting caught. Well, I mean, that's the thing is if he had not. Depends on who's chasing you. If someone hadn't been chasing him, Mm -hmm. he probably would have gotten bored and was just like, well, I need them to know me. Well, I got away with this. What else can I get away with? Mm -hmm. Murder. What I really like is the first time they meet, she just flat out comes up to him and says, I'm after you because I know you did it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now I'm just looking for proof. Yeah. You know, he's a guy who will put people's lives in danger to get what he wants. And she'll break the law. She'll like kidnap a child to get what she wants. Yeah, that's. Well, it's the way that it is kind of accurate in the way that we view rich people as viewing us as we're just things for them to play with. And they don't really give a shit about what happens to us. Enter Mitt Romney. And it does fit what was said earlier, is that this is almost a romantic comedy between two villains. You know, that fits. But again, you don't care. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that makes the ending so satisfying because they're both assholes, so you don't want them to get what they want. I know, but I don't want to watch a whole film of assholes just so the assholes don't get anything. Wow, the never watched a Lars von Trier movie. (laughs) I've never watched a Lars von Trier movie and I've never had any impulse to. You don't think you're missing out. Did we really need to spend five minutes with the dune buggy and five minutes playing polo? And no, was he it only not, five minutes but, with the dune buggy? Uh, I think he did the dune buggy twice. Yeah. Once he was solo, was, was once he had five her. minutes twice. <laughs> we didn't need that. We didn't need the uh, little flyer thing. We didn't need Gwen at all. Gwen was completely useless. Mm-hmm. Who was Gwen? The chick, the other chick, the one that oh, was okay. done The one who picked him up after the glider. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The one that she he called up for dinner and that she came and picked him up. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know because I'm looking at the cast list right now. She has a name. And at the end of the film, when they roll the credits, she has a name. But really? I don't remember wow. them actually ever saying her name. I don't believe they did. She struck me I as miscellaneous. Like... She struck me so much as miscellaneous that she was like, oh, hey, here is a warm body filling a space. So you know who does stand out? Yafet Koto in one of his early roles. Is he the and sweaty who guy? who is he portraying? Well, he was the black guy at the heist. <gasps> ah. I love the black guy! That's Yafet Koto from Alien. I don't okay. really care about Alien. He was a good character actor in the 70s and 80s, and this was one of his first movies. <gasps> okay. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. He's in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was back when he got into bad stuff. Uh, <laughs> the Final Nightmare was a bad one, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That was the one in 3D. Hang, hang on. Let me ask Dana. Yeah, it was one of the bad ones. And um, I'm trying to think of, see, I don't know any of the other, like, I don't, I I know the actor who played the guy who got the station wagon, but I don't know his name. The Jack Weston? He was fun. (gasps) Gordon Pinsett's in this, I didn't even realize it. I love Gordon Pinsett. Who's Gordon (laughs) Pinsett? He was Jamie, the guy who picks Vicky up from the airport. Okay. Eddie. Oh, oh, the guy who runs the insurance company? Yeah. Who then passes her on to the police? Yeah. That was him. He's my hero. It's stuff like that that I like is the film does have moments of very concise storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's just very uneven in how it uses it. Yeah. I mean, like... The moments that there are actually storytelling are concise. Right. It shouldn't have taken that long to bring Faye Dunaway into things. Yeah. See, I don't have a problem with the amount of time it took to bring her into the movie. We're spending, like, 40 minutes waiting for her to show up. 
Yeah. It wasn't 40, it was 35. It was 35 minutes. Well, I'm including the time it took for me to open the DVD and press play. Yeah. yeah that doesn't count as part of the runtime, Noel. Totally. Well, 35, fine. I'll concede 35. <laughs> you got to count the trailers. You, no one watches the trailers, Weston. Really? Sweetie, really, no. No one. Oh. <laughs> but you know what the thing is that they had enough interesting or well, at least they had Paul Burke and I really liked him. So uh-huh. I didn't really care that Faye Dunaway hadn't shown up yet because I was enjoying the Paul Burke being well, off. My problem with yeah. how long it takes to her is that then I think they kind of rush into the romance. Yeah. I mean, because granted, the first time they meet, I mean, we have like the scene where she's tailing him at the polo game. But then the first time they meet, she instantly lays out the game and then boom, they're just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm. And then it ends. <laughs> Introduction, auction house, chess game, bow wow. Yeah, I don't know. Is this even actually before the bow chicka wow chicka? Oh, the guy who did the music also did the score for The Ring. Nice. Not the horror movie The Ring, the Daniel Steele TV movie The Ring. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> They're like, not, not as awesome. Just had to share. Yeah, that's <laughs> still a movie that has the word ring in the title. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of movies. Ooh, The Three Musketeers. Which one? The old one with Michael York. Ooh. The good one. Yeah. But they didn't bring him back for the Four Musketeers. <sighs> or the Men in the Iron Mask. He did the score for the Smurfs and the Magic Flute. Which Smurfs? The live action one? No, 1976. Okay. So less than a decade after this, he was making <sighs> Smurfs and the Magic Flute. And he also did the scores for two ABC After School specials. Oh. <laughs> Wait till you hear the titles. The titles are Blind Sunday and and Mitchell's Mixed Up Musical Bird. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I remember all the life lessons from Mitchell and the Mixed Up Musical Bird. I do not. Is he the one that wrote Windmills of Your Mind? I don't know. But I mean, like, back at the time this movie came out, he was doing big stuff like Ice Station Zebra and... I thought that porn. And Wuthering Heights and a number of other big... And Le Mans, so another Steve McQueen movie. Brian's Song. Oh, he did actually compose... Well, he did the music for it, but who yeah, wrote the lyrics? Yeah, for Windows of Your Mind and someone else Who wrote, wrote the, the lyrics? Because that's the person Alan I want to Alan and Marilyn Bergman. Oh, um, man. I don't know who they are, but it's pretty horrible. Do you now hate them, whoever they are? I don't hate people for writing a shitty song. If I hated them, I'd have like a vendetta against Kesha. Oh, they also did the theme song for In the Heat of the Night, the TV series. You know, I don't think okay, that's, ever... that theme song is pretty kick-ass. Huh. Oh, and they wrote the lyrics for all the songs in the movie Yentl. I hated that movie. Luckily, I have not seen it. Oh, and they did the theme song to Maud. Yes, and then it's Maud! It's like after this movie, they went and did a whole bunch of 70s theme songs. And then there's Maud. That sounds about I'm right. So oh, God, they did the song The Way We Were. Okay, that's all right. Wow. I think. Okay, can you tell we're literally like so done We've, we can't yeah. even with this well, movie? I mean, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, despite the fact it's a 96-minute movie, there's not a lot to it. No. It is 102 minutes. It's 102, okay. 102 minutes. My version Unless. doesn't have the extra title cards. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're there. They count. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think our tangenting is kind of proof that there isn't a whole lot more to say. Yeah, it's it, kind of like, yeah. you know, he's him, she's her, that happened, and then this is how it was made. And that's kind of, that's yeah. the whole movie. 
I do like that part at the beginning where he's pulling the uh, money out of the trash can. Mm-hmm. The money, the bags of money, and then the bell starts tolling. Yeah, just the way he whips around. Yeah, and I'm just like, ask not who the bell tolls because it's... Uh, and I'm like, I'm just having a poetry moment. And I love how they repeat that shot mm-hmm. at the uh, end where you get that same shot through the bell, but he's not there. Yeah. That is, yeah, bookends. Yeah, I was expecting something significant about the bell other than, yeah. you know... But well, no. it, 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 it's it kind shot of an him. Omen. The bell pulled a gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bell's previous credits include the bathtub scene from Annie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> oh. His career oh. started in the uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> the 50s version, not the 30s. He's not that old. Okay. <laughs> Ironically, the bell's career concluded in the animated version of the Back. Surprisingly, he lost out in the title role of For Whom the Bell Tolls. That is so... I mean, he, he was typecast for that, specifically, and what happens? Well, I think that was the part in his career where he was trying to avoid the typecasting. Or, uh, okay. you know, it's kind of like, I've done so many bell roles. I want to branch out into comedy. <laughs> Instead of bell ringing. <laughs> Why doesn't anyone see me as a romantic lead? I've got the curves and the knockers for it. <laughs> underneath this iron exterior beats a heart of brass brass yeah. is romantic right well and then there was that one time he made a few films with ron jeremy yeah but he doesn't talk about those you know he was doing a lot of blow <laughs> <laughs> so we're we so done we've become completely ridiculous we're, we're so done we're concocting this ridiculous biography for a bell yeah that was in because two shots yeah well Two shots is about uh, how many shots other characters had. Any, like, little specific moments we really liked or really didn't like? or um, I like the interaction between Vicky and the detective, actually. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes the movie for me because they do have a really fun kind of back and forth. How he, like, completely disproves of her, but he's also, like, completely blown away by how well she's doing, but he yeah. doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. Exactly. Because he doesn't like the means through which she's doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is a certain level of respect there. Mm-hmm. I do like when um, there's that scene where he's waiting for her and she kind of sidles up and like leans and he looks at his watch and she looks at hers and then he notices her and I'm like, it's funny. <laughs> I thought it was a cute little like it would work in like a romantic comedy, but it's not a romantic comedy, but it still worked for me. Mm-hmm. It made yeah. me happy. I like the scene where Thomas Crown climbs out on the rooftops, sneaks around to the one guy who's been watching his house, knocks him out, <laughs> and then fixes him up to look like a drunk driver. That was awesome, too. Yeah, there should have been consequences for that. And then I love how the cops that show up are in the middle of their whole, you know, we got a drunk driver routine. It's like, hey, it's so-and-so from the banking unit. You okay, man? All of a sudden, they're like, I love oh, how they okay, just well. recognize him. Yeah. Now, what, if that were like a modern movie, that guy would have been dead from that knock on the head. See, but again, that scene, oh, yeah. ultimately, it was a cute scene, but was there any payoff to it? There None whatsoever. It was just Crown having a little bit of it fun It never came it. up. There was no consequences to it. It was weird. I do like his sneakers, though. Well, he was sneaking around in sneakers. I know it was kind of like him getting back at her for the whole wall-to-wall carpeting scene yeah. where she searched his place, but mm-hmm. it's much ado about nothing. Yeah. I like much ado. Oh, no, wait. You mean the actual... Yeah. Okay. But I still recommend the film because, you know, it was a fun way to kill an hour and a half. Mm. It wasn't a deep film. It wasn't a particularly involving film, but it was fun. It mm. was fun. It had some neat visual stuff. I mean, for the time in which it was made, it had a lot of very kind of progressive ways in terms of the filmmaking style and whatnot. And it had that fucking song. Mm. But I did still enjoy it. 
it's a fun film. I don't think it's a film that it's not going to blow you anyone away, but I don't think it's a film that's going to like completely disappoint anyone. Yeah, it's not Ocean's Eleven. No, well, the original. Mm, Ocean's let's, let's put it that fair. way. It, it, yeah, it's not as good as the Ocean's Eleven remake, but it's not as bad as the Ocean's Eleven original. Yeah. Okay. But Weston, you're still not ultimately going to recommend it? Ultimately, on balance, I don't think so. Um, I it's do just not worth it? Yeah, no. I mean, there are other ways. I mean, for example, you could watch the remake. Mm-hmm. I, I did like the chess scene. It's flirtatious. It worked for me. It was saucy. It was showing and not telling. It was an awful lot of face acting. And I do love face acting. It's uh, It just clicks with me. Also a lot of false eyelash acting. And a heck of a lot of false eyelashes. Wow. You don't know that those are false. Those might have been her yeah, real Yeah, because eyelashes. she didn't have them in the next scene. Maybe she had them trimmed. Yeah. <laughs> Trimming eyelashes is a thing that they do in Hollywood in 1968. They might have. You don't know. You weren't an actress in 1968, were she you? She had now? a post-coital eyelash trim. Okay. <laughs> Maybe he nibbled them off. I don't know. That's entirely possible. And speaking of Fifty Shades of Grey. Your mom's chest hair. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, ultimately, I kind of liked the movie. Weston, you didn't like the movie. Evie, I think you're kind of somewhere between us. Fucking yes. song, man! EP is directly between us, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Good night, everybody. So oh. on that note. <laughs> so we'll be back with part two. Hooray! Uh eventually. <laughs> so Weston, thank you for joining us for part one. Thank you for having me. Good night, Evie. Good night. To read show notes for this and every one of our episodes, please visit IHateLoveRemakes.com. The comment sections are open, so let us know what you think about the films discussed. I Hate Love Remakes is in no way affiliated with the copyright holders of the films discussed. All rights are reserved and no infringement is intended. I Hate Love Remakes is a made-of-fail production madeoffail.net. We were unpopular before it was cool. Oh, you know, it's been a day that is made up of day stuff. Yeah, it's been interesting. I'm polishing my microphone. That's not a euphemism. I'm just kind of liar. Rubbing the dust off the top. Hello. <laughs> well, you'll have that thing that you'll be talking into for the entire episode, and then you have the mic. <laughs> yes.